if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two is underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this free for all Friday. I will have more time for your free for all calls after we talk to our next guest. It is the 14th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Appreciate you being with us. By the way, outrage of the day comes from New York. Uh, you know the beautiful blue lights that uh, that shine from the footprints of the World Trade Center towers in Lower Manhattan every year during the commemorative week of uh, the uh, the attacks on 9/11. The Tribute and Light, as it's called, uh, it will not shine this November or this uh, September 11th, a little less than a month from now. It will not shine. New York officials concluded that it would be too dangerous to have crews outside trying to assemble and turn on the lights because they might get COVID. Literally, because of COVID-19, they are going to forego the annual tribute in light in deference to the health of the workers. By the way, no word from New York City quite yet on the health of the workers who were hired to paint Black Lives Matter in giant yellow block letters on the streets in New York in front of Trump Tower. No word yet on their health condition and whether or not they contracted COVID-19. All right, more COVID-19 talk now. Let's bring in our friend Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is a reporter with WMFD Television in Mansfield. He is also the managing editor now of the Ohio Star, as well as a contributor to Breitbart News. Jack Windsor, good to have you back on our program. How are you, my friend? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's an honor to be here with you and uh, the WHK audience. Thank you for choosing me. Have you ever heard of anything so insane? Uh and maybe that's a little bit of a loaded question. There's a lot of insanity in the news, but uh, what? Do you, any reaction to what I just told you? The September 11th Memorial and Museum has announced they will not be allowed to put on their tribute and light because uh, the danger would be far too great because of COVID-19 for the workers. I don't know. I don't know what, how much I can say about it, Bob. Uh, as you were reading it, and I was listening, uh, I had a visceral response—a really emotional visceral response. Um, you know, it upsets me. Uh, and it just continues to prove to me how upside down we are 
in our collective mindset as a country. Uh, it's disturbing. I hope the workers uh, who would have been doing this um, decide to protest. And I mean that quite literally. Go outside and assemble the lights and get them turned on and just say, we're protesting. Protesting seems to mean you can do whatever you want, regardless of the health concerns of COVID-19. So maybe maybe that's the answer. All right, Jack, that's New York. And I do want to talk to you about Ohio, obviously. Uh, And I want to start with your new series that you have running on the Ohio Star website website at theohiostar.com. First of all, again, congratulations to you on that new added duty. Um, And you have started, I read it on your Facebook page yesterday, and it took me to the link. Um, You have just just started an eight-part series on the Ohio Public Health Advisory System. Uh, And if people don't know what the Ohio Public Health Advisory System is, I just always describe it as Mike DeWine's coloring book. He takes his little coloring, little crayons out there, and he looks at an Ohio map, and he fills some of them in yellow and some of them in orange and some of them in purple and some of them in red, almost indiscriminately, regardless of what the statistics in each of the little coloring sections known as Ohio's 88 counties uh, really are reporting. Um, tell me why the import, what, what, what the importance is of uh, this health uh, advisory system, and tell me why you feel the need to do an eight-part expose upon it. So I was going to start a different way. I'm going to back into it this way. All right. The, the best example I can come up with was delivered yesterday during the presser. Claremont County just rolled into what we would call a code red. Now, it's yellow, orange, red, and purple. Code red, as you would imagine, means, hey, there's a problem here, and we really need to start battening uh, down the hatches, and if we get to purple, purple is where you can only go outside if you need to get medicine or critical supplies. So Claremont County just went into red. Now, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, right? That's those, those were, that's the trilogy. Those are the things that we've looked at uh, for the entirety before this map, okay? And Claremont County, uh, the last time they reported cases was on the 11th, so three days ago, and there were five. Last time they reported hospitalizations was on the 11th, and there were two. Uh, the last time they reported a death was on August 8th, and they had zero deaths yesterday, but yet they are in code red. That is precisely why uh, we decided to do this eight-part series on the alert system, or what we call the Ohio Public Health Advisory System. It's a color-coded map, and it assigns a color to each of Ohio's 88 counties that's supposed to be indicative of each county's COVID spread. Now, if you remember prior to this, uh, the governor, his administration, Ohio Department of Health, all came under fire uh, from citizens, from legislators who said, look, we need better information and we need to start uh, pushing statewide information down to a more local level because Richland County is not Cuyahoga County, right? Uh, And every part of the state is different. So that's why that was designed. And as it says on the site, it was created to be a data-driven framework uh, to assess the degree of the virus's spread and to help empower people, businesses, communities, local governments, and others in their responses. Now, decisions are are affecting businesses, schools, sports, and day-to-day personal behavior. And those decisions are being geared toward this advisory system and its output. So a couple of things that have happened. Most recently, you'll remember at the end of July, Governor DeWine demanded county fairs cut everything but the junior fair events and cited an increase in community spread. 
uh, among fairgoers. The Ohio Education Association released their position statement at the end of July, and it said essentially that uh, uh, schools must remain closed to in-person instruction if a county is in a code red or a code purple. And last week, special counsel representing the Ohio Liquor Control Board referenced the perceived spread indicated by the advisory map at a temporary restraining order hearing during which the attorneys defended the board's emergency rule to prohibit the sale of alcohol past 10 p.m. in bars and restaurants. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at all seven of the indicators that each county is graded on, and we're going to dive in. And I think what we're going to find is that this map can, or these indicators can be triggered by strategic testing decisions and contact tracing more than uh, a county can be triggered by the active spread of coronavirus. We want to be able to share that with people. Uh, my daughter's in a school district that has, you know, uh, a lot going on. They're really considering how they're going to open, what they're going to do. A lot of parents are going to back. And I've learned through my personal experience that a lot of, a lot of schools are really in the dark. They just take what they hear at 2 o'clock during the presser and what they see on the map as, oh, my goodness, this is still extremely serious, and, and we need to roll back, and we need to be as cautious as possible. So I want this to bring to light what we're really being graded on, and uh, hopefully it will help us make some better policy decisions. That's uh, extraordinarily important. Your example with Claremont County is, is, is well taken. Has anybody brought that county or another one? Because I know there are others just like it. Um, where, you know, the numbers don't indicate at all any reason whatsoever that they should be on high, high alert, the red uh, category here. Five five uh, cases, two hospitalizations, and zero deaths. Uh, and, 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 and they're on the verge, one small, small step away from, as you said, full lockdown. You, you can only leave the house for medicine and food, and you probably have to do that in a hazmat suit. Uh, it, it seems like it's arbitrary how they assign these colors. And as you say, they're driving their decisions on policies on what can be open and what can't be and what can be conducted and what cannot be based on this coloring book. Uh, so I can't wait to see the rest of uh, your, your series. But let me ask you one more question about this. You called it the Holy Trilogy of of counts. It's cases and hospitalizations and deaths. Um is it even anymore? Because it appears to me that we are not focusing focusing at all, or at least the governor isn't, his team isn't, on hospitalizations and deaths. Hospitalizations are stable. Deaths continue to be down. It's only one of the three in the trilogy, case number that is increasing. That's correct. What you'll find is with these seven indicators, the first three uh, have everything to do with cases. Uh, and then we'll get into emergency room visits, outpatient visits, uh, hospital admissions, and ICU bed occupancy. Now, there are actually three other indicators, by the way, that are coming down the pike, and I'm not even going to get into those yet. But this is really uh, case-heavy. And so, you know, you great point. Um, when you look at hospitalizations and deaths, uh, deaths don't even factor in on this map. Uh, hospitalizations do. But the hospitalization number is a little bit tricky. I won't get into that too much. But uh, when they look at hospitalization, it can be uh, triggered by somebody uh, having COVID but not being in the hospital uh, exclusively for COVID, if that makes sense. So um, we're going to really dive into those. And we should be looking at cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. 
but this was supposed to be a supplemental tool, is what it says on the on the website, uh, to supplement uh, all of those factors as well as the existing orders. But what it's really doing is it's taking over pole position, and it's extremely concerning because you know we heard the doctor, uh, Dr. Thomas from Ohio State, say uh, back early on that there is there's no green on this map until we have a vaccine. The other thing that's really telling about it is we've heard it uh, referred to something similar to a, an early weather warning system. And I've said it's like we're sheltering for a tornado right now that might happen in January, or we're boarding up and leaving town for a Category 5 hurricane that might happen in January, we're just not sure. And so it, it calls into question this whole idea of if we're using a, a, a warning system to make decisions, are we really still in a state of emergency? Such a very important point. Jack Windsor, I got music blaring. Well, it's, it's kind of quiet underneath me, actually. It's not blaring, but it's playing, which means we have to stop talking for a moment. But I want to ask you about sports and what the governor said yesterday. Can you hang for one more short segment? Absolutely. Jack Windsor, WMFD Television, the Ohio Star News website, back with us right after this, AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, onward at uh, 1024. I got a few good minutes left here with our friend Jack Windsor, WMFD Television, and uh, the OhioStar.com website. Um, Yesterday, Jack, the governor pushed again, or kicked the can, if you will, down the road on the sports decision that we were supposed to get a week ago. We were supposed to get Tuesday of this week. We were supposed to get yesterday. And now we're told, ah, next Tuesday. But interestingly enough, um, he did drop some little uh, Easter eggs out there, I suppose, as they're called, I think, in the online world. Um, He suggested that it's not going to be up to him after all, that at the end of the day when they make their announcement on Tuesday uh, with uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted, who is absolutely 100% for opening schools and getting sports teams on the field this fall, um, he essentially said, we're going to leave this mostly up to the parents and the schools. Uh, now, if that's the announcement, why not just make the announcement? There's got to be more to that that he's going to say on Tuesday. What's your read, Jack Windsor? Uh, well, I, according to the lieutenant governor, he has committed that we will hear on Tuesday. I think there's a couple of things going on. One, uh, deferring the decision allows the governor to defer blame. And we've seen this movie many, many times. So he will, he will push the decision down. Um, and by the way, it, it's buying him a little bit of time. I think he mentioned yesterday the lawsuit regarding sports businesses in Warren County. They're appealing that, and that might give him more leverage. But even if he's pushing the decision down to school districts, here's what we have to recognize. Parents are already battling for their kids to go to school and play sports with local school districts, and those districts are given only negative data. We, you know, 155 days in, and we have more pressing health crises affecting Ohioans and our kids. We've talked about this. The CDC director said the real risk to our kids is suicides, drug overdoses, and depression. And the new medical advisor, Dr. Atlas from Stanford uh, in the White House, has stated that there's no scientific justification for children to wear masks or to be socially distanced in schools. And kids are not spreading this to adults. The, the CDC has said that. And 
The R naught, by the way, I'm going to give you this information and then bring it back around the barn. The R naught is below one, and it has been since June 28th. Prior to masks and mandates, like uh, halting bars and restaurants from serving alcohol past 10, the positive case rate is 5%. That's the rate at which the WHO and Johns Hopkins say that this virus is under control. And by the way, over the last 14 days, we've had a whopping 15,000 new cases. What you won't hear is that we actually have a negative net number of cases because 18,000 plus had actually recovered. So the, the, the case number is actually negative 3,260. That's good information that does not get pushed out. As a result, parents are going to have to continue to battle with school districts and officials who, frankly, are backed up by the Ohio Education Association, and they're probably going to want to, you know, CYA, they're going to want to cover their own posteriors, right? And, and it's going to be really hard, I think, for people to get leverage. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned that we're really going to have a productive uh, year of sports in, in the state of Ohio. Um, one of the other things he said uh, during one of the follow-up questions uh, during yesterday's session, he included the second time local health boards. I assume he means county health, health boards. The first thing he said when he dropped a little hint was parents and schools are going to make the decision. Then he said, parents, schools, and local health boards. Does that mean, again, he's, like you said, he's kind of deferring the blame to somebody else. If Cuyahoga County's board, which has already, and so has Summit County's local health board, uh, among others, have said, we think that schools should open uh, on a virtual basis only. In other words, it's not safe for students to gather together in classrooms or at cafeterias, um, it would be almost impossible for said school then to say, but we're going to put the football team on the field to be gathered together Correct. in a contact sport, right? I mean, is this Correct. is this his way of essentially canceling sports without him saying sports are canceled? Sure feels like it, yeah. Because, again, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And for five months, we've been sitting under the doom and gloom narrative. And even though we continue to put information out that should give us hope, uh, it's far outweighed by the opposition. So it certainly feels that way, um, particularly, by the way, if we're going to continue to test. We didn't even get into that. The efficacy of tests, whether they're PCR tests or antigen tests, takes one test for somebody to be positive, and then all of a sudden they're quarantined, and the whole team could be quarantined. The context And probably the opponent as well. That's the other thing here, right? If there's a yep. positive test for a player after a contest, for example, uh, you know, or maybe a test before the contest, but then they find out it's positive after all, oh, now everybody on that team, you're done for two weeks, and the opposing team because you may have come in contact with that player at some point. That's correct. Which, by the way, is also insanity given the fact that what we know about the uh, health impact of the virus on young, healthy people is next to negative. I heard one one researcher describe this as what is supposed to happen. There is an increase in case number among young people, among people, you know, in their in their teenage years and in their twenties and thirties. And I don't remember the exact metrics that they use, but there is an increasing spread. I think we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, that uh, some ninety seven thousand new cases in people under forty. I think it was were were uh, were uh, 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 tested positive in the last two weeks of July is, uh, is I think what the measure was, Jack. Right. But what yep. the researcher said is this is exactly what is supposed to happen. The virus is now spreading its way through a healthy population that will not yes. get sick from it. That is what herd immunity is. That's how it all happens so that we don't need vaccines and other things. Healthy people getting it, building up the antibodies to it and not getting sick from it. That's what's supposed to happen, right? It is, but that doesn't fit the uh, vaccine narrative. <laughs> 
No, it doesn't, does it? Not at all. Not at all. And Big Pharma will have their say before it is all said and done. Jack Windsor, read his uh, first piece, his first uh, segment of his eight-part series on uh, the Ohio uh, coloring book put together by, uh, uh, by Governor Mike DeWine. It's actually called the Ohio Public Health Advisory System. Read that at theohiostar.com, theohiostar.com. Follow Jack on Facebook and Twitter, Jack Windsor. And you can have easy access to that stuff as well. Jack, great stuff as always, my friend. Keep up your great work. Thank you, Bob. God bless you. You too, sir. Jack Windsor on AM 1420. The answer takes us to the news. And on the flip side of the news, open lines. It's a free-for-all Friday next. AM 1420, The Answer. The answer now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. So, five year old Cannon Hennant was shot in the head at point blank range, uh, point blank range by Darius Sessoms back on Sunday. Five year old white boy playing on his bicycle in front of his father's house, executed by a 25-year-old black felon who came out and put a gun to his head. Not from a distance, not crossfire, not an accident, to his head and executed him. That happened on Sunday. The first mention of it on CNN's website came at 5 o'clock this morning. Friday. And the headline? A 25-year-old man has been charged in the shooting death of 5-year-old Cannon Hinnant. In the text of the story, at least on a cursory glance, not a single mention of race. Police have charged a 25-year-old man with first-degree murder after they say he shot and killed a 5-year-old boy last week in Wilson, North Carolina. Austin Hinnon told CNN, affiliate WRAL, he was inside his home when his son Cannon was playing outside and was shot. Hinnon says he ran outside and scooped up the injured child and held him in his arms. I screamed, blah, 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 onto the story. In a news release, the Wilson Police Department said officers were dispatched. In reference to a shooting, found the five-year-old suffering a gunshot wound, died, pronounced dead at a nearby hospital. Police identified Sessoms as a suspect and arrested him after it was found Monday. He was found Monday in a Goldboro resident about 30 minutes south of Wilson. It is unclear if he has an attorney. Five-year-old boy, 25-year-old man. That's the extent of the story on CNN. CNN made sure to point out the race of 14-year-old Nick Sandman, whom they accused of harassing an elderly senior citizen Indian man, white boy wearing a red cap, reading MAGA, harassing a a 70-some-year-old Indian native, peacefully banging his drum. You remember that story. It's a story that made Nick Sandman a rich young man because of the way CNN covered it and the way MSNBC covered it and the way the Washington Post covered it and on down the line. I ask you if this case of Cannon Hinnant would be covered differently by CNN, the same organization, had it been a 25-year-old white felon walking up to a 5-year-old black child, putting a gun to his head and executing him. 
Do you think this would somehow, some way, um, bring up conversations about black people being hunted in America and white privilege and white supremacy and racism, systemic racism, which would lead a 25-year-old white man to do such a terrible thing to an innocent 5-year-old child? Do you think it would be covered differently? I think that's a rhetorical question, and I think we all know the answer to it. Canon Hennon's life doesn't matter to the news media because it's a white life. Darius Sessom's status as an African-American is irrelevant to the story because he, as a black man, killing a white child does not help the narrative of BLM. I said this two segments ago, and I'll say it again now. I promise you, if a police officer had been on the scene and had seen Darius Sessoms take out his gun and had shot and killed him before he was able to shoot the young boy, you would know the name Darius Sessoms. LeBron James, the athlete and celebrity and music culture would be screaming, say his name, say his name. Darius Sessoms got killed by a police officer, white male or black male killed by a white police officer. What time is the riot tonight? What stores shall we collect our reparations from tonight? But because it was reversed, you haven't heard the story at all until 519 this morning, five days later, six days later on CNN.com. One other quick story for you before I go back to the phone calls. Since I just talked to Jack uh, uh, Windsor about the coronavirus, and we've been talking for three days now about the selection of Kamala. Kamala, not Kamala. Kamala as in communist, not Kamala as in capitalist. Since we've been talking about communist terrorists and uh, the coronavirus together, what do you say we throw this gem out there? This is what she tried to pull off yesterday. Tragically, more than 165,000 lives that have been cut short. Many with loved ones who never got the chance to say goodbye. It didn't have to be this way. Six years ago, in fact, we had a different health crisis. It was called Ebola. And we all remember that pandemic. But you know what happened then? Barack Obama and Joe Biden did their job. Only two people in the United States died. Two. That is what's called leadership. But compare that to the moment we find ourselves in now. When other countries are following the science, Trump pushed miracle cures he saw on Fox News. While other countries were flattening the curve, he said the virus would just, poof, go away. Kamala Harris believes that you and I are morons, that we don't know the difference between a coronavirus and Ebola. She believes that you and I don't know that Ebola was a disease that could only be transmitted through bodily secretions, only through bodily fluids. She didn't want, she thinks that you don't know, rather, that Ebola was not the pandemic that the the Obama-Biden team had to deal with. 
She knows full well that Ebola was a completely different animal altogether. And that it was the swine flu, the H1N1 virus in 2009 that really tested Team Obama and Biden. She thinks you don't know that. She thinks you're stupid. Ebola, let me put it to you this way. An American had a a far higher chance of being killed by a bee sting or being eaten by a shark than they did of contracting the Ebola virus. That's how rare this was, and that's how rare deaths were from it. Coronavirus is highly contagious, and it can be contracted virtually in a thousand ways. Apparently, you can breathe it in. Apparently, you can touch something that had it on it and then put it in your eye. The coronavirus is a highly contagious worldwide pandemic that every nation has struggled to contain. Ebola, like I said, you had a better chance of being killed by a bee sting or being eaten by a shark than you did of contracting and dying from Ebola. But it was H1N1 that was the better comparison. And H1N1 in 2009 resulted in 60.8 million Americans being infected. 60 million. By comparison, there have been 5 million Americans infected by the coronavirus. And then you say, yeah, well, what about the deaths? That's a great point. The swine flu was not as lethal. But it's not because of anything that Barack Obama and Joe Biden did. How do we know? Because we listened to Joe Biden's chief of staff, who has said repeatedly, we got lucky. It was good fortune. It was fortuitous that the swine flu, the H1N1, wasn't more lethal because we couldn't have stopped it. We didn't do anything right. He literally said, we did nothing right. We got lucky. 60.8 million infections, if it had been more lethal, could have resulted in millions of deaths. Joe Biden, Barack Obama showed no leadership whatsoever. They let it take place and did nothing. And now Kamala Harris wants to compare coronavirus not to H1N1, but to, (laughs) to, uh, to Ebola, which could only be transmitted by bodily fluids. Okay. Um, back to the phones. Uh, Amy has been waiting patiently in Hudson. Amy, you are on AM 1420. The answer, go right ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to make two points. Okay. And the reason I really got fired up and angry about this is because I did hear a rumor. I don't know it directly. My, it was secondhand. A woman told uh, a person with whom I was speaking that the daycare center where she was working now have to mask infants. And uh, that made me so angry because infants and children, anyone who's growing, needs oxygen. If you have an infant lying in the crib with the mask on, we are going to have an increase in SIDS, that is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Sure, they're going to suffocate. Exactly. They cannot even speak to say, I can't breathe. 
No, that's and, that is so very true. Now I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know if what you're saying is accurate. If somebody works for a daycare who can tell me directly rather than secondhand, and I of course have no reason to doubt your source, Amy, but I would love to hear a daycare worker tell me this. But I I find it really impossible to believe that's real, right? Masking infants in their in their cribs. No, thank you, Amy. I appreciate you bringing it up. That's insane. But by the way, that is what Joe Biden has called for. Now, he didn't say specifically infants, but he said everybody in America should be made to wear a mask. Everybody in America should be made to mask up for a period of three months, if not longer. He did not say not the very young. He did not say not toddlers or infants. He said everybody. This is not about Democrat, Republican or independent. It's about saving Americans' lives. So let's institute a mask mandate nationwide starting immediately, and we will save lives. Um, The second part of that is better because, well, we get to make fun of him. Be a patriot. Protect your fellow citizens. Protect your fellow citizens. Step up. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. There's overwhelming evidence, overwhelming evidence that the mask, and depending on the type of mask you wear, increases exponentially the prospect that you, if you are a carrier and you don't even know it, exponentially, exponentially, exponentially. Is anybody on Team Biden going to tap this old man on the shoulder and whisper into his ear, that's not a word? Come on, man. (laughs) That's what he would say. Mr. Biden, exponentially is not a word. It is something that doesn't exist. You made it up. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. The prospect that you wear increases exponentially. 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 Come on, man. Oh, man. I'm going to have fun with that forever. Because he has said it, I don't know, a dozen times. Somebody needs to tell him that's not a word. Um, Let's see. TJ in Cleveland has words, I bet. TJ, go ahead. You're on the air. I'm not an emotional man, but when you told the story of that five-year-old little boy, I literally got tears in my eyes. You know, I've seen a lot of bad things in my life in Vietnam and after, but I'm going to tell you, this story just sucks the life out of my soul. You know, this left has perpetrated such hate that someone can do this to a child, walk up and execute them. I mean, I am so sick of this stuff on the left. And, you know, I wish one of your liberal listeners, like that one that called you yesterday, would call in and and justify in his morbid liberal reasoning how this was an okay thing to do. I mean, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of us being victims and stuff and us being accused of being the perpetrators. This has gone too far. And I'm going to tell you, this phony media, with the way they covered this, is just a perfect example of what's happening in this country. I don't know about you, Bob, but I'm mad as hell, and I ain't taking this crap no more. TJ, I promise you, if the situation had been reversed, you would be just as upset, and so would I, and so would all conservative media. We would have called this an outrage if a little black child had been shot point-blank, execution-style, by a 25-year-old white felon. We would have been disgusted and angry and outraged over it. Just like we were all disgusted and angry and outraged over the George Floyd situation, which, by the way, has changed a bit since then. But we would be livid over this. 
That's the difference between the left and the right in this country. We would have been horrified at the death of a little black boy in such a circumstance. They are completely ignoring the death of this little white boy. That's the difference. They are playing to the worst of humanity by making race the center of everything. 1051 final segment coming up. AM 1420, The Answer. All right, short segment to wrap it up here on AM 1420, The Answer. Final segment of the hour, final segment of the broadcast, and yes, indeed, final segment of the week. And I cannot, I'm coming to your calls. If you're still there, stay there real fast. But I want to say a very special, give a very special message to our friend. Let's hear it. Yeah, that's what we're trying to say. Happy birthday to you, Andrew the Man. Andrew Mann, one of our producers and board operators. We like to call him, or at least I do, Boris Zukov, the Russian bear, Boris Zukov. Because of his bald head and his big, thick beard, he looks just like the Russian bear, Boris Zukov. And also, because if you've ever seen him, you know he literally is the size of an actual Russian bear. So, Andrew Mann celebrating his birthday today and the uh, rest of this weekend by having the day off today. Happy birthday to our good friend, Andrew Mann. Great job, as always. All right, let me get a couple of quick ones in here before we're done. Uh, Matthew in Medina, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Matthew, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Uh, What I wanted to talk about is the Postal Service. A lot of people don't know this. I'm a retired letter carrier from the service. And in 2007, our illustrious Congress mandated the Postal Service to pay into a retirement fund for letter carriers that hadn't been hired yet. So there's billions of dollars sitting in there, and they can't touch it because this stupid Congress has uh, has uh, just about destroyed the Postal Service. And we need the service because of the election, too, even more so. So there you have it, Bob. I'm telling you. So hold on. Let me make sure I understand this. You're saying that they mandated that you as a postal carrier pay into a retirement fund for people who had not yet been born or hired yet, and that money is sitting there being unused? Yes, absolutely. This was mandated by Congress to the Postal Service that they pay Hmm. into this retirement fund for carriers that have not been hired yet. Had not been hired yet. Okay, wow, that's I, that's interesting. Although what what you just described, Matthew, thank you so much for the call. Is what we have all come to know as you know government bureaucracy at work. This is this is the way that it is. It's dysfunctional. It's wasteful, and it makes no sense. And I'm not surprised by that at all. What I am surprised by is that that money is still sitting there. When is the last time a dollar in Washington D.C. or that was uh, that was um, uh, grabbed, if you will, or mandated in Washington, D.C., went unspent or unapplied. If it's sitting there, I'm surprised they haven't confiscated it for other uses. Uh, hey, that's all the time I've got. Thank you so much for everybody uh, to everybody for joining us, including our guest, Jack Windsor. Thanks to Derek. Thanks to Marcy. Congratulations and happy birthday to Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe and be free. And we'll see you Monday on the next Enjoy Bob France Authority. The silence.